I'd like to tell you a story. Actually, there are two stories. And the story I tell you first is going to make a big difference on which story you believe. Hey, it's Seth. And this is Akimbo. We'll be back in a second to talk about making up your mind. But first, here's a message from our sponsor. Since 1928, in the heart of Austin, Texas, Austin Sunshine Camps has been bringing the magic of overnight summer camp without the barrier of cost to the economically disadvantaged youth of Austin. They provide free 10-day, 9-night overnight summer camp experiences. Our campers grow, connect, and learn in a safe, happy environment full of nature and new experiences. To learn more and to help send deserving kids to camp, please visit sunshinecamps.org. Thank you. Because I'm a believer in hope and optimism, I'll tell you the hopeful, optimistic story first. During the 1970s, a TV show called MASH was incredibly popular. Its last episode, written by Thad Mumford, was the most popular TV show ever made. Thad Mumford had an up-and-down career working as a screenwriter in Los Angeles, and he lived right near a young painter named Jean-Michel Basquat. Jean-Michel also had a tortured career. He was a drug addict. He died far too young. But in 1982, he was affiliated with the Gagosian Gallery, about as fancy as you can get, and he was beginning to make a real impact in the art world. During his career, he painted thousands and thousands of paintings, sometimes on refrigerator doors, sometimes on pieces of cardboard, sometimes on canvases, and he is beloved for the impact he had on art. Okay, so those are our characters. Jean-Michel, down on his luck trying to cut Larry Gagosian maybe out of the deal, says to his neighbor, I've got these paintings on cardboard. And his neighbor pays him less than $10,000 to buy these 25 paintings. He puts them into a storage unit. And as his life begins to unravel, perhaps he forgets about them. All we know is the storage unit bill comes due. Thad Mumford has passed on, and it goes up for auction. Guy named William Force, who had probably seen a bunch of reality shows about storage units, was making a living finding storage unit auctions, buying them cheap, and looking through what was in there to make a profit. Well, William Force discovers in this storage unit 25 priceless Jean-Michel Basquat paintings, and he decides to get them authenticated. Aaron de Graft, who has a PhD in art history and is a curator at the Orlando Museum of Art, is totally taken by the paintings. James Blanco, an expert on handwriting, confirms that they are signed by Jean-Michel. An associate professor at the University of Maryland, Jordana moore Sagess, author of Reading Basquiat, confirms that the paintings came from him. And most important of all, the late curator Diego Cortez confirmed the paintings. Cortez, before 
his death had been on the committee that was built by the estate of Jean-Michel to authenticate paintings that were claimed to have come from the artist. So with all of these people signing up to say that these paintings are authentic, it is estimated by the New York Times, where I'm getting most of these facts from, that this treasure trove of art is worth 50 or $100 million. So there you go. That's a story. Let me tell you a different story. It's pretty simple. There's a typeface called Universe 67 Bold Condensed. I've used it myself, not because I'm a famous artist, but because it's a nice typeface. Universe 67 Bold Condensed. And then there's the company Federal Express. Federal Express was a scrappy startup, but by 1994, it had become a behemoth. And like many behemoths, it decided to do a corporate redesign. They hired the fanciest of fancy firms, a firm called Landor Associates. Landor had someone working there named Lyndon Leader. I don't know if everyone at Landor had to have a name starting with an L, but Lindor Leader certainly did. And in 1994, Lindor Leader led the redesign for Landor at Federal Express. And he chose Universe 67 Bold Condensed as one of the typefaces that Federal Express would use in all of their materials. This happened 12 years after the paintings were supposed to have been painted and several years after Jean-Michel Bascot died. Okay, so what? So what is that if you turn over one of the 25 paintings that were in the storage unit of Thad Mumford that were painted by Jean-Michel Basquat in secret when Larry Gagosian wasn't watching, if you turn over one of these 25 pieces of cardboard, what you will see on it is a Federal Express typeface. Yes, you got it. It is very clearly the typeface that Federal Express did not use until 1994. Now, if you read the comments on the article in the New York Times, what you'll see are several people saying, I love art. I love Jean-Michel's work. I can tell a fake from a real one. These are authentic. And what you will also see are dozens of comments from people who read all the way to the end of the article who say, well, they have to be fake because clearly they're on cardboard that was created after, long after, it was said that the paintings were painted. So how do we make up our mind? We make up our mind based on stories, based on hope, based on inference. We make up our mind because Diego Cortez said that these paintings were authentic. It makes us happy if they are authentic. But if the first thing you heard was there is undeniable proof with a fairly high degree of certainty that this cardboard wasn't printed until 1994, it doesn't matter what happens after that because you've already made up your mind. And so the fascinating thing about all of the issues in our culture, issues of technology, issues of climate, issue of politics, is simple. We should acknowledge when we made up our mind. We should acknowledge when we show up to say, I don't know what to think. What are all the facts? Versus showing up to say, well, I already made up my mind. Do you have any new information for me? Because 
getting a human being to change their mind is completely different than getting someone to make up their mind in the first place. And if we want someone to make up their mind in the first place, it helps to talk about a story. Maybe it's the story of the last episode of MASH. Maybe it's the story of Lyndon Leader, the young man building a new brand or design for Federal Express. Where we begin, how we anchor it, it changes how we see the culture going forward. <laughs> what the devil's going on in here? Frank, baby! Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. We'll be back in a second with a couple questions from previous episodes. But first, here's a message from our sponsor. No ad this week. In fact, an ad about the ads. If you visit akimbo.link, you'll see a new button up there. Let me explain it to you really quick. My friends run akimbo.com, a B Corp that hosts the workshops that you've been hearing about here. But the Akimbo podcast is separate from that. And so going forward, every once in a while, I will talk about some of the workshops my friends are running. But in the meantime, I'd like to talk about what you're interested in. In fact, I'd like you to talk about what you're interested in. So if you visit akimbo.link, you'll see a way that you can upload a 30-second ad for a nonprofit, for a cause, or even for a hobby that you care about. Nothing commercial, please. Of course, I can't promise I'll be able to include all of them. There are guidelines at akimbo.link about how to do it and what to include and not include. The focus is 100% non-commercial and non-profit. I can't wait to see what you've got going on. Hey, Seth. It's Maria. Hey, Seth. My name's Kyle. Greetings, Seth. This is Stephen out in Madison, Wisconsin. Hi, Seth. Alicia from Charleston here. Hi, Seth. This is Anupam. Hi, this is Caitlin. Hi, Seth. Warm greetings from Curacao. Hey, Seth. My name is Nick Ryan from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Hey, Seth. This is Rex. Hey, Seth. Hi, this is Vasilis from Greece. Hi, this is Roberta Perry. My question is... And that completes my question. As you know, I love to hear from you. If you've got a question about this or any previous episode or just about anything on your mind, please visit akimbo.link, that's A-K-I-M-B-O dot L-I-N-K, and click the appropriate button. Two questions that are really closely aligned. We're going to overlap in the answers. Here we go. Hey, Seth. Thanks for your podcast. I'm addicted undeniably. It's Steph Corker, your friend from Whistler, B.C., I wish I was skiing with you, and instead I listen to your podcast on long runs. And I wonder, in the name of being the worst or the best CEO of our lives and delegating, I'm coming out of the pandemic wondering if the world has become too lazy. We can actually outsource everything. Do we know where our vegetables come from anymore? I mean, I get that I can pay someone to grocery shop, yet there's some life lessons and there's some hard work that I think we're overpassing because our hourly rate says that it's cheaper for someone else to drop the groceries off at my front door. I'm not disagreeing with you. I would just love your thoughts on laziness and how can we stay rigorous? How can we continue to do hard work and good work? Is that possible or have times just changed completely? I wonder. I'd love your thoughts. Thank you, Steph, for the work you do and for this question. We're going to talk about two things, which is time frame and what's it for anyway. Every CEO who is doing their job, whether they have no employees 
or 110,000, makes decisions. That's what CEOs do. And the question we begin with is, when? Do you make a decision for what will make you and other people feel good for the next five minutes, for the next five hours, for the next five years, or for the next 50 years? Because these choices have implications. There is no easy Milton Friedman maximize the net present value of shareholders solution here. We make decisions based on time frame and why we're at this at all. Maximizing profit today is rarely the best choice. So when we think about being the CEO of ourselves and the fact that we can outsource so many things, that we can simply sit at our desk, order in everything, outsource everything, freelance everything, and then somehow maximize our perceived profit, well, some people will do that. But then at the end of all the days, what have you accomplished actually? So inherent in all of the stuff I am ranting about is the choices we make about who it's for and what's it for and why we're doing it. And Steph, you know me and you know that I'm spending hours a day at the supermarket or cooking dinner for people I care about. That is not a profit maximizing strategy if I am measuring profit in how much cash did I make. That the choices we make are still CEO choices, but they are not easily measured in terms of cash in and cash out. Thanks for the provocation. I said, this is Salas from Aotearoa, New Zealand. I've really come to enjoy and embody the philosophy that Akimbo holds, that you've held your whole career. I think it just makes total sense to me. It really resonates with me. However, the team that I work with hasn't really caught up yet. You know, They're still very focused on getting the hit. They're still very focused on you know, perfecting everything before we send it to market. And they have you know, a big say in what we do. I mean, I'm the last voice to be heard, but at the same time, I don't want their voices to be squashed. And I don't want to be the forceful hammer of God, so to speak, you know, that says this is the way we do things now. Um, I really want them to be on board by nature, you know. So how do I go about communicating that I think we're aiming in the wrong direction and that we should just show up for the people that are already here every day and make their lives better? Um, yeah, how do I do that without, without uh, you know, breaking relationships or becoming authoritarian about it, you know? I really appreciate everything you do, man. You've really changed my life. Uh, you've changed my whole philosophy. So I appreciate you so much. Keep doing what you're doing. Cheers. Thank you for this, Silas. And now we get back to the what's it for part of this discussion. This team that you work with, of course, it's not a democracy. There is a method in place to get you where you are going. You are showing up every day, and so are they for a reason. Some people show up at work to do what they're told and to get paid. And if that is the reason they are there and you are mutually understanding about it, they want you to tell them what to do, and they want you to keep paying them. Other people are showing up at work because they're on a mission. They want to make a change happen. They are focused on the impact of their work. And a third group of people might show up at work because they like the way it feels to be part of this. They like the interactions that they have. So we begin by saying to the team, 
here's why we are here. Here is the role that I need you to fill. This is where this bus is going. And this bus, this bus that's going to Christchurch, if you don't want to go to Christchurch, if you want to go to Wellington, please get off the bus now. This bus is here for a reason, and this is where it's going. That's the job of the leader. It's not up for a vote because you will never get a unanimous vote. What you've got to do is be really clear about what things are like around here. And you can make that decision after talking with everybody on your team and understanding what drives them. But then, once you've done this, things get much easier because every action, every choice, every decision, everything you're putting forward has to meet a certain criteria. Well, we're here to serve the customers. Is this going to serve the customer? Well, we're here to make as much profit as we possibly can. Is this going to make as much profit as we possibly can? We're here to minimize the impact we have on the planet. This thing you're proposing, is there a better way to get the job done and also minimize our impact? Once we know what these questions are, coherence becomes much easier because it's not, oh, we're just doing it because Silas said so, unless that's the kind of organization you're building. And we know plenty of organizations like that, that the reason you're here is to make the boss happy and the boss does what the boss does. That's okay as long as everyone knows that's the deal going forward. So my approach to the market, my approach to the smallest viable audience and lots of other things isn't the right answer. It just might resonate with you, which is great. I'm very flattered. But then you've got to be able to establish for the team why you're using this compass and this map to get where you're going. If they don't buy into that, then a serious conversation has to take place. But if they do buy into that, now you've got a compass and now you've got a map. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next time. It's not too late. Hey, it's Seth. About 16 years ago, I wrote my first post about climate change. And since then, every single metric has gotten worse. But it's not too late. What we need to do is shift it from a me problem to a we problem. And my new project is not my new project. It's our new project. More than 300 volunteers from 40 countries around the world have spent the last bunch of months putting together the Carbon Almanac. It's not coming out till June, but you, my loyal Akimbo listeners, I wanted you to see it and hear about it. First, check out thecarbonalmanac.org for all the details. Thank you for caring enough to make a difference.